0: Book Two, Chapters Nineteen through Twenty One of The Consoling Thoughts of Saint Francis de Sales by Jean Joseph Huguet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two Consoling Thoughts on Trials of an Interior Life, Infirmities of Soul and Body. Chapter Nineteen A Good Sadness and a Bad Sadness sadness may be either good or bad the sadness which is according to god says st paul worketh penance unto salvation and the sadness of the world worketh death sadness can then be good or bad according to the different effects it produces in us in truth it has more bad than good effects but it has only two of the latter namely mercy and penance while it has six of the former namely anguish idleness indignation jealousy envy and impatience this made the wise man say that sadness has killed many and that there is nothing to be gained by it because for the two good little streams that flow from it there are six very bad ones The enemy makes use of sadness to try the perseverance of the good, for as he endeavours to rejoice the wicked in their sins, so he endeavours to sadden the just in their good works. And as he cannot draw them to evil unless by making them find it pleasant, so he cannot turn them away from good unless by making them find it wearisome. The devil asks only for sadness and melancholy and as he is sad and melancholy himself, and will be so eternally, he wishes that everyone else should become like him. Bad sadness troubles the soul, throws it into uneasiness, inspires it with inordinate fears, and fills it with disgust for prayer, stupefies and confuses the brain, deprives the soul of counsel, resolution, judgment, courage, and even abases its powers. In a word it is like a severe winter, which banishes all beauty from the earth, and benumbs the very animals, for it robs the soul of all consolation, and strikes its every faculty with helplessness. King David does not complain of sadness alone, saying, Why art thou sad, O my soul? But chiefly of trouble and uneasiness, adding, Why dost thou trouble me? A good sadness leaves great peace and tranquillity in the soul. On this account, our Lord, after having said to his apostles, You shall be sad, adds, Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. In peace is my bitterness most bitter, says Isaiah. Bad sadness comes like a hailstorm with an unexpected change, and great impetuosity, and so suddenly that we cannot tell whence it comes, for it has no foundation. But after its arrival it seeks on all sides to be obeyed, while good sadness comes sweetly into the soul like a gentle rain, and with rational antecedents. Bad sadness ruins the heart, dulling and deadening it, and making it abandon the care of the work as the psalmist says or as agar did when she left her son under the tree to go to weep good sadness gives strength and courage and does not allow us to leave off or abandon a good design such was the sadness of our lord which although so great that there never was the like yet it did not prevent him from praying and having care of his disciples And Our Lady, having lost her son, was most sad, yet it did not hinder her from seeking him diligently, as did Magdalene also, without waiting to lament and weep in vain. Bad sadness darkens the understanding, takes away counsel, resolution and judgment from the soul, as happened to those to whom the psalmist says, they were troubled and reeled like a drunken man and all their wisdom was swallowed up we seek for remedies here and there confusedly without knowing what we do and as it were groping our way good sadness opens the mind makes it serene and luminous and as the psalmist says gives understanding bad sadness gives a disgust for prayer and a distrust of the goodness of god good sadness on the contrary proceeding from god increases our confidence in him and makes us pray and invoke his mercy tribulation and anguish have troubled me but thy commandments have been my meditation in short those who are possessed of a bad sadness have their souls troubled with ever so many horrors errors and useless fears with dread of being abandoned by god of being in his disfavor of being unfit to appear before him in order to ask pardon everything seems to go contrary to their salvation they are like cain who thought every one he should meet would kill him they think that god is unjust towards them and will be severe to them even to eternity and that it is all in their regard alone while the rest of the world is perfectly happy at their expense. All which proceeds from a secret pride, persuading them that they ought to be better and more fervent than others, more perfect than anyone else. But good sadness discourses in this manner. I am a miserable, vile, and abject creature, and therefore God will show me mercy. FOR POWER IS MADE PERFECT IN INFIRMITY, AND THERE IS NOTHING ASTONISHING IN BEING POOR AND MISERABLE. NOW, THE FOUNDATION OF THE DIFFERENCE THAT EXISTS BETWEEN GOOD AND BAD SADNESS IS THAT THE HOLY SPIRIT IS THE AUTHOR OF GOOD SADNESS, AND BECAUSE HE IS THE TRUE COMFORTER, HIS OPERATIONS ARE EVER ACCOMPANIED WITH SWEETNESS AND LIGHT. IN FINE, SINCE HE IS THE TRUE GOOD, his operations cannot be separated from the true good and the fruits of the holy ghost says st paul are charity joy peace patience benignity longanimity on the contrary the wicked spirit who is the author of a bad sadness for i do not here speak of natural sadness which has more need of physicians than of theologians is truly a gloomy and perplexing destroyer, and its fruits can only be hatred, melancholy, uneasiness, chagrin, languor, malice. Lastly, all the marks of a bad sadness are also the marks of a bad timidity. Chapter 20 How Contrary Sadness Is to Divine Love we cannot engraft an oak on a pear tree so contrary are these two trees to each other we can no more engraft anger or despair on charity as for despair unless we reduce it to a just diffidence of ourselves or rather to that reasonable sentiment we ought to have of the vanity weakness and inconsistency of the favors helps and promises of the world I do not know what service divine love can draw from it how can sadness be useful to holy charity since among the fruits of the holy ghost joy holds the very next place to charity nevertheless the great apostle speaks thus the sadness which is according to god worketh penance unto salvation but the sadness of the world worketh death There is then a sadness according to God which is exercised either by sinners in penance or by the good in compassion for the temporal miseries of the neighbor or by the perfect in deploring the spiritual calamities of souls. For David, St. Peter, Magdalene wept over their sins. Agar wept seeing her son nearly dead of thirst. Jeremias wept over the ruin of Jerusalem our lord over the jews and his great apostle mourning, uttered these words many walk of whom i have often told you and now tell you again weeping that they are enemies of the cross of jesus christ there is also a sadness of this world which proceeds from three causes number one it sometimes proceeds from the infernal enemy who by a thousand sad melancholy and vexatious suggestions darkens the understanding weakens the will and troubles the whole soul and as thick fog fills the head and chest with cold by this means rendering respiration difficult and throwing the traveller into perplexity so the devil filling the human mind with sad thoughts takes away its facility of making aspirations to god and thus casts it into an extreme weariness and discouragement it is said that there is a fish called the devil of the sea which heaving up the mud discolours the water all around it in order to conceal itself as in an ambush from which when it perceives the poor little fishes it suddenly rushes out tearing and devouring them whence perhaps comes the expression of fishing in troubled waters which we hear so frequently used now it is just the same with the devil of hell as with the devil of the sea for he lays his ambush in sadness and having troubled the soul with a multitude of distressing thoughts cast here and there through the understanding he rushes out afterwards on the affections crushing them down with doubts, jealousies, aversions, envies, apprehensions, and supplying a variety of vain, bitter, and melancholy subtleties, in order that we may reject all kinds of reasons and consolations in our wants. Number 2. Sadness proceeds at other times from our natural condition, when the melancholic humor predominates within us, And though this is evidently not vicious in itself, yet the enemy makes great use of it to brew a thousand temptations in our souls. For as spiders only make their webs when the weather is dark and the sky is cloudy, so the devil has never the same ease in laying the snares of his suggestions around sweet, benign and gay souls as he has when in the presence of melancholy, gloomy and hypochondriac ones for he easily agitates the latter with chagrins murmurs hatreds envies and a thousand dark suspicions number three there is a sadness which the variety of human occurrences brings upon us what joy can i have said tobias not being able to see the light of heaven thus jacob was sad at the news of the death of his joseph and david at that of his absalom now this sadness is common to the good and to the bad but with the good it is moderated by acquiescence in and resignation to the will of god as we see in tobias who for all the adversities that befell him returned thanks to the divine majesty and in job who blessed the name of the lord for afflictions and in daniel who changed his sorrows into canticles on the contrary with worldlings this sadness is an ordinary companion and changes only into regrets despair and giddiness of mind for they are like monkeys and marmots which are always peevish cross and troublesome at the waning of the moon and at its increase they jump dance and play their pranks to no end the worldling is surly sullen and snappish in the absence of prosperity and in its full flow he is invariably a conceited and insolent blusterer indeed the sadness of true penance does not so much deserve the name of sadness as of displeasure against sin or detestation of sin a sadness which is never vexed or morose a sadness which does not enervate the mind but makes it active prompt and diligent a sadness which disrupts not the heart but elevates it to prayer and hope and excites the fervour of devotion a sadness which always even in the height of its bitterness produces the sweetness of an incomparable consolation according to the words of the great saint augustine let the penitent be always sad, but let him always rejoice in his sadness. The sadness, says Cassian, which works a solid penance and an agreeable repentance, of which we never repent, is obedient, affable, humble, kind, gracious, patient, as being the offspring of charity, so much so that reaching to every pain of body and mind, It is in a manner joyful, reanimated and revigorated by the prospect of its advantage. It retains all the sweetness of benignity and longanimity, having with it the fruits of the Holy Ghost mentioned by the Apostle. Now the fruits of the Holy Ghost are charity, joy, peace, longanimity, goodness, benignity, faith, meekness, continence. Such is true penance, and such is a good sadness, which, properly speaking, is not at all sad or melancholy, but only attentive and resolute to detest and reject sin, both past and future, for the sole love of God, whom sin displeases, that is to say, without the admixture of any imperfect love, without interested views of promised reward or punishment this loving repentance is usually practiced by frequent aspirations or elevations of the heart to god after the example of the ancient penitents. thus i am thine o my god save me have mercy on me for my soul has trusted in thee save me o lord for the waters overwhelm my heart make me as one of thy hired servants o lord be propitious to me to me a poor sinner in this sense we say that prayer justifies for penitent prayer or suppliant repentance elevates the soul to god and uniting it to his goodness undoubtedly obtains pardon in virtue of the love which animates it many a time we see a repentance eager troubled impatient, weeping, bitter, sighing, uneasy, sour, and melancholy, which in the end is found unfruitful and without any true amendment, because it does not proceed from the true motives of the virtue of penance, but from self-love and natural love. The sadness of the world worketh death, says the apostle. We must then carefully avoid it and banish it according to our power if it be natural we should drive it off by diverting its movements in suitable exercises and by attending to the remedies and mode of life which physicians judge proper if it proceed from temptations we should discover our heart to our spiritual father who will prescribe us the means of overcoming them according to that which we have said in the fourth part of the introduction to a devout life if it be accidental we should have recourse to that which is laid down in the eighth book in order to see how amiable tribulations are to the children of god and how the greatness of our hopes in eternal life should render almost unworthy of a thought the trifling and transitory occurrences of this life there are some actions that depend on physical power hence however melancholy one may be he can still though without much pleasure say kind and civil words and notwithstanding his inclinations perform from reason things conformable in word and work to charity and courtesy a person is excusable if not always gay for we are not masters of gaiety to have it when we wish but we are inexcusable if we are not always good tractable and obliging for we have it in the power of our will to be so and all that is required is to resolve to overcome our contrary humors and inclinations i certainly do not know why souls that have given themselves up to the divine goodness should not be always joyful For is there any happiness equal to theirs? I wish that we could sing everywhere. The imperfections you fall into ought not to trouble you, for you do not wish to cherish them or to rest your affections in them. Remain then in peace, and live in meekness and humility of heart. What a happiness to belong entirely to God! For he loves his own, he protects them, He conducts them, he brings them into the harbor of a desirable eternity. Remain then thus, and never permit your soul to be saddened, or to be in bitterness or scrupulosity, since he who loved it, and who died to make it live, is so good, so sweet, so amiable. CHAPTER Twenty One: REMEDIES FOR A BAD SADNESS First remedy, we must receive sadness with patience as a just punishment for our past vain gladness and joy. For the devil, seeing that we turn it to our profit, will not press it much upon us. And so long as we preserve a willingness not to be delivered except according to the good pleasure of God, our patience will not fail to serve as a remedy. Second remedy, we must sharply contradict the inclinations of sadness and repel its suggestions and while it appears that everything we do then is done sadly we must not discontinue our affairs for the enemy who desires by sadness to make us relent in the performance of good works seeing that he gains nothing but that on the contrary our works are better done being done with reluctance will soon cease to afflict us any longer. Third remedy. When one is able, it is not amiss to sing some spiritual songs, for the devil has often been made by such means on some account or other to abandon his operations. Witness the spirit that agitated Saul, which was quieted by the sacred music of the harp. Fourth remedy. It is good to employ oneself in some external occupation and to diversify it as much as possible in order to preserve the mind from intense application to any sad object, to purify and warm the spirits, or as we say to raise them, sadness being a passion of a cold and humid character. Fifth remedy. Perform some exterior acts of piety, though you do so without any relish such as embracing the crucifix pressing it to your breast or kissing the hands and feet raising your hands and eyes to heaven uttering some words of love and confidence like these my well-beloved is all mine and i am all his my beloved is a bouquet of myrrh on my heart my eyes are wearied looking up on high my god i will never cease to say when wilt thou comfort me o jesus be a jesus to me live jesus and may my soul live who will separate me from the love of my god and other like things sixth remedy a moderate discipline is sometimes good because the voluntary affliction of the exterior impetrates interior consolation for the soul and while applying pains to the body without we feel less the effect of those within according to that which the psalmist says but as for me when he afflicted me i clothed myself with haircloth, and elsewhere perhaps to the same purpose thy rod and thy staff have comforted me seventh remedy prayer is the sovereign remedy according to the expression of st james if any one be sad let him pray i do not mean that we must employ our time of prayer in long meditations but i mean that during it we must make frequent petitions to god We must always then address his divine goodness in invocations full of confidence, which we are apt to forget when in joy, and likewise when free from trouble, imagining that there is no longer any need to excite sentiments of fear in our hearts, for example such as these, O Lord most just and terrible, O how I tremble before thy sovereign majesty, and the like but in times of sadness we must employ words of sweetness for example o god of mercy most good and most gracious thou art my heart my joy my hope the dear spouse of my soul and the like and we must employ them whether sadness likes it or not giving it no audience or credit when endeavouring to prevent us from uttering these words of confidence and love And though we seem to do so without fruit, we must not cease to expect the fruit, which will not fail to appear, after a little perseverance. Frequent communion is also an excellent means of banishing sadness, for this heavenly bread strengthens the heart, and rejoices the mind, by giving us the master of consolations. 8th Remedy one of the safest remedies is to discover our heart without concealing anything to some prudent and spiritual person mentioning to him the resentments attachments and suggestions that proceed from our sadness and the reasons with which we entertain them and all this humbly and faithfully the first condition that the devil imposes on a soul which he wishes to afflict and seduce is silence just as the seditious do in conspiracies for they require above all things that their undertakings and resolutions should be kept secret god on the contrary requires discretion as the first condition not wishing indeed that we should indiscreetly discover his graces and favors but that we should make them known with prudence and according to the rules of an humble discretion to persons endowed with the requisite qualities. But in fine, if you do not find repose in these remedies, have patience. Wait till the sun rises. It will dissipate the mist. Have good courage. This sickness will not be to death, but that God may be glorified by it. Act like those who feel their stomachs sick and disordered at sea, for after they have tumbled about both in mind and body through the whole vessel in order to find some alleviation they at last take hold of the mast and embrace it as fast as possible in order to be secure against the turnings which they experience in their head it is true their comfort is brief and uncertain but if with humility you embrace the foot of the cross when you cannot find a remedy anywhere else you will at least find patience there sweeter than elsewhere and trouble less disagreeable rejoice as much as you can in doing good for it is a double grace in good works to be well done and to be joyfully done and when i say in doing good i do not mean to say that when you fall into some defect you should abandon yourself to sadness on that account. No, in the name of God, for that would be to add defect to defect. But I mean to say that you should persevere in wishing to do good, and that you should always return to good as soon as you know you have departed from it, and that by means of this fidelity you should live for the most part joyfully. In fine, we should belong to god without reserve without division without exception and without any other pretensions than the honour of being his if we had a single thread of affection in our heart that did not belong to him o god we ought this very instant to tear it away let us then remain in peace and say with the great lover of the cross let no one come to disturb me FOR AS FOR ME, I CARRY IN MY HEART THE STIGMAS OF MY JESUS. YES, MY DEAREST DAUGHTER, IF WE KNEW A SINGLE PIECE OF OUR HEART NOT TO BE MARKED WITH THE STAMP OF THE CRUCIFIX, WE SHOULD NOT WISH TO RETAIN IT FOR ONE MOMENT. WHAT GOOD IS THERE IN BEING DISQUIETED? MY SOUL, HOPE IN GOD, WHY ART THOU SAD, AND WHY DOST THOU TROUBLE ME? since God is my God and my heart is a heart entirely his. End of Book 2, Chapter 21